So today, we are going to move into a new sermon series. It's called Read Your Bible with Understanding is the official title of it. The marketed title is Read Your Bible. The colloquial title is uh, Read Your Bible. <laughs> and so we're going to, we're going to just dig into it because, because the Bible is such a great place to start. And you know what's really interesting is I'm going to start off with a text. It's not a Bible. Um, but I'm going to start off with a text about the Bible. This book is called Hearing God from Dallas Willard. I actually recommend it. A really, really good theologian. Very, very well thought out book. Um, and uh, just a really brilliant, just understanding of how we hear from God. It, it's, it's wonderful. But he gets to a chapter about the Bible. He said, the use of the Bible is not superstitious or magical because a natural connection exists between a proper use of the Bible and its ideal result, which is union with Christ. The Bible expresses the mind of God since God himself speaks to us through its pages. Thus, we, in understanding the Bible, come to share his thoughts and attitudes and even come to share his life through his word. Scripture is a communication that establishes communion and opens up a way to union, like we were talking about in our last sermon series, all in a way that's perfectly understandable once we begin to have the experience of it. And so this is, um, this is how, this is one of the reasons that I'm like, we really need to read our Bibles. Now, I know that as a pastor, I listen to people talking about the struggle of reading their Bible. And it's hard. You know, there's a lot of people, there are a lot of Christians that actually do. They read their Bible every single day, and they're meditating on the Word day and night, and it comes out of them, and it's part of their language. It infuses their, their perspective on life. It feels like those people, they just, they see everything through the lens of the Bible. And then there's, then there's the, the others who, who sometimes feel like, I open up the Bible, and, and, I, and I can't keep my eyes open. I'm just like, I struggle through it. I don't understand it. I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. And, uh, and, and those are really, really challenging things. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to engage um, on, on Slack. And I'm just going to open up with a cool question. So if you're, in the, if you're in building, engage on Slack. If you're at home, engage on Slack. Here's a question for you. Do you think that God would be interested in adding to the Bible today. Do you think God would be interested in adding to the Bible today? Some of us feel like the Bible is hard to read, and you know, I've heard some suggestions that people are like, well, yeah, we should just put in our God experiences and have that as part of the Bible. And, uh, and, and so, you know, what might be some of the benefits of it, and what would be the downfall of, of being interested in adding to the Bible today? While you guys are going through that, I'm going to actually respond to some of, some of what comes up on Slack. So I, I really want people to engage on Slack on this. Um, but I remember the first time somebody walked through the Bible with me. They, they kind of gave me a, a view on the entire biblical story in order. And it was something that helped me out so much. And so while we're discussing, you know, what, would, what do you think God would be, or do you think God would be interested in adding to the Bible today... I want to just take two minutes and go through a working view of the narrative of the Bible. 
And so let's see if I can do the whole 66 books of the Bible in just two minutes. So here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's, oh, sorry, there's, there's seven main characters and five covenants. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's Adam and there's Eve. So God placed humanity inside of a garden and gave them the role to take care of the garden, to, to do all of this work. And they were supposed to do it with the power of God, with the blessing of God, and then they usurped the role of God. They were like, we want to be God. Well, God was like, that doesn't work, but I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to remove you from the garden, and we call that the fall. The world falls apart, and there was death and darkness, and it led all the way to humans going like, we want to build a tower up to God. We want to become like God and get to the heavens, and so we have the Tower of Babel. So we, we then move from there, and humanity keeps on declining. Like, it's just, it's bad. Things get violent. Things go bad. And, and there's a man named Noah that God says, okay, I'm going to take this man. I'm going to rescue his family from how bad things are. The world is going to chaos. Nobody's taking care of the world. They're not taking care of each other. I'm going to rescue Noah. And so we got Noah and the flood. And at the end of the flood, we have a reinstitution of the promise of God and the command of God to go and fill the earth and take care of it. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to care for the earth. And so Noah gets this covenant in a rainbow. And that's where you get the, the Noah's Ark and rainbow. And God's anger is withheld. So then after Noah, people continue on. Things are going kind of good, kind of not, kind of all over the place. The world is spreading out. And then we get to a man named Abraham, or Abram at the time, and Abram is moving away from where his mom and dad lived, and he's moving out, and he's saying, I'm going to follow God. And God makes a promise to him and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and you will bless the entire world. So Abraham is a big part of the story, God's initiation of the promise. So Abraham... Uh, has Isaac, who has a son named Joseph, and Joseph is famous because of Joseph and the many Technicolor Dreamcoat. And so this is just our order we go through, right? And, and the world is still, it's, it's starting to move into the age of empires, where we've got empires starting to gain power, and Egypt comes into its dynasty period. And this is around the time of Joseph. Egypt is near the pinnacle of its dynasty. So what we have with, with that is Joseph gets traded into Egypt, and Joseph sits in Egypt, and he is lost, and he's like, oh, I'm in jail. It's awful. And God changes Joseph's lot. Joseph becomes a ruler inside of Egypt. Israel, all of Joseph's brothers and sisters, come and live in Egypt, and that's how they got trapped in Egypt because the new pharaoh came and didn't like these people who lived in the land of Goshen. He thought that they could overwhelm them, and so he made them slaves. Well, now this people who are part of Abraham's promise are living in Egypt in slavery, but then we get this boy named Moses. Moses comes, and he is born, and he's like, he's born into the castle of Pharaoh, born into, born into this, this, well, he's born in, into Egypt, but then he was adopted and brought into the castle of Pharaoh. And so then we've got this, this huge piece where, where Moses grows up with all the understanding of Egypt and all the understanding of Israel, or the Hebrew people. And he's carrying both worlds, and he recognizes God's call to bring the Hebrew people out. And we go into the Exodus, 
in the Exodus, God establishes his people. He gives them the way of life, the, the Ten Commandments, the Torah. And then they become Israel. One nation, finally. It took many, many generations, but they became one nation in the land that was promised to Abraham on the shore of the Mediterranean. They become a nation in the biggest trade route between empires. Crazy. David is the first king that unites the entire 12 tribes of the Hebrews, which has become Israel. So he unites them. But then after he lives, this is where we're getting into the prophets and, and, and the books of the Bible that talk about the fall of Israel. Well, Israel separated. They, they, be, they had a civil war, kind of, and the top half of Israel was called Israel. The bottom half was called Judah. The, all of the prophets are talking about the top half. Well, most of the prophets are talking about the top half because Assyria is another empire that's going to come down and going to wipe them out. And then we have a couple of the prophets talking about Judah, and we've got like okay, God, we, we, don't want to ha- we don't want to see what happened to Israel happen to us. What do you want us to do? And God calls them to repentance, and they don't repent. And then Babylon comes and wipes out Assyria and wipes out Judah. So it's the age of empires. It's going on. All of that happens, and the Jews are spread out. The, the Israelite people, become, they, they, they become known as Jews. They're spread out all throughout the world. They have this understanding of God and the mission of God. They've got the promises of Abraham. They're spread out all over the known world. And in that rises the idea of a Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, he rises again, and then the church is born. And, you know, we like to think the church was all figured out at that time, but it wasn't. They didn't have it all sorted, so they start writing letters to each other uh, through multiple authors saying, this is what Jesus was, who Jesus was, this is what's happened in the church, and this is the way we should operate from here on. And the Bible ends with God's, with a vision of God's triumphant victory over all of the chaos that's happened inside of all of human history. So that took a little bit longer than two minutes, but it was good. Um, so, so now what happens is you, is you hang it on, on Abraham, Noah, um, Abraham, sorry, Adam and Eve, Abraham, get it right, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, and then Jesus. I wish I actually got that right. That would have been way cooler. So let's actually take a look at what would, what would happen if Jesus added to the Bible. So one of the, one of the comments is, I don't know about adding to the Bible, but, but maybe Jesus should make things more clear to our culture today. Um, right? Like there, there's this, what, what that talks about is culture was different then, and now we're in a different age. So how can we understand it? And so much of when you read the Bible, you see what happens in that age, and then we've got to see what happens in future ages. So I think, I think that God would give us a better understanding of what he's already, what's already there. The, the things we read of, you know, out of context, the, the text we think we know, and the multi-layeredness to it, and, and that comment is just saying, like, it's all there. God has revealed himself, but as we study it, we can start to see God is, uh, is happening. And someone actually really, this is a really good question someone wrote. They said, I wonder if a better question would be, what might be different about the Bible if it was written today? Really, really good question. Um, but what would, what would be different is this, or what would be the same is the story of the faithfulness of God. Um, 
And so these are, these are really, really good points. Um, finally, I'd be concerned to add to the Bible in this day and age. You know, we're social media age, and our opinions are quick and fast, and they're always, they're always changing. Self-righteous culture. Back when the canon or the list of the books of the Bible was chosen, they, made, they, they, they took decades and looked at it and debated and discussed it. And, uh, and so we don't, we're not in that place. We're not in a place where we want to just be discussing. And so the fear is that we would just choose people based on the loudest opinion. Really good thought. Really, really good thought. So it seems like, it seems like we have this, this time where God has taken ages to write about himself. And we, in our day and age, want everything to happen right now. Really good thought on that. So today, God wants to reveal himself in Scripture, and that's why we need to be reading our Bible. So I'm just going to go through a, a, a piece. Um, I, I want to ask you guys, uh, how do you think the Bible was made? This is information for me to know where everybody is as we continue on in this service. So how do you think the Bible was made? Um, and I want to just give a little bit of history on this because it's important. This is central to the Christian faith. The reading of the Bible is so important, so sometimes we don't have a lot of opportunity to talk about it. So what we did with the Bible is people in ancient days would tell the stories of what God has done. And as the stories continued to be told and verified, then people started writing them down and said, this is the story of God. And it started to become put in in lexicons. It started to become put in codex, where it was like, okay, here are the stories of God. And they were many stories all over the place. Tons of different people understanding this is what's happened. And, and so these were all used to determine what is God like. My systematic theology professor said to me, or said to the class, he said, God is revealing himself through action. So we like to think of God as an abstract theory, but the biblical writers understood God through his actions. So this is what we know about God, and then God would do something, and they'd be like, oh, well, now we know this about God too. And then God would do something else, and they'd be like, whoa, okay, this is now what we know about God as well. And it would pile story upon story until a picture of the character of God started to be shaped. In, when, when, we have, when we have this idea of the Old Testament, we have the first ideas of, of Torah and the writings and, and, and the scriptures which make up our Old Testament that's starting to come into, into focus as to what that is around 200 years before Christ. And so they, they're starting to see, okay, this is the reliable stories, the reliable accounts of God. These are the ones that work around 200 years before Christ where they're starting to get to 
all right, we're going to believe that, that the writings and the prophets and the to and Torah, these are the ones that we're going to start to use as authoritative. But the writings were like still not fully authoritative. The prophets were the voice of God and the Torah was the law of God. The writings were still, some people would put this one in and, and other people would say this one. And then you've got the teaching of the rabbis. And so that was the way, that was the authority system that, that Jesus walked into. When he walked into a synagogue and he picked up, you know, the prophet Isaiah and he's reading about it. Well, he's, he's choosing one of the more authoritative texts. And he's saying, this is, is what's, this is being fulfilled in your midst today. So, but the Christian Bible wasn't fully formed until 367 by the theologian theologian Anthenaeus of Alexandra. Now he's from North Africa and he's, he's looking at all of, this, all of the letters and all of the writings that have, that have come out about Jesus and about the church and he's sorting through and he's taking a look at what the, what the Jews looked at and said, this is authoritative, this is what God is like. And then he's looking at all of the writings offered to the church that he has access to because in Alexandria was this massive library and they're, they're collecting all this stuff. And so he's looking at all this stuff and he's saying, yep, these are the ones and councils start gathering together and they start saying, what is scripture going to be? What's authoritative? What actually works? And so they started saying, okay, there's these 73 books that hold up that are being used again and again and again to see the work of Christ fulfilled. These books, God is using, and they all affirm each other. They self-correct each other. They're all like, yes, this is giving the message. And in that, we've got the Bible. But wait a second, I thought our Bible had 66 books. Exactly. So there are 73 books inside of this canon, which is the rule, the, the measure of the Bible, and now we have 66. So what happened? Well, a whole bunch of years later, over a thousand years later, we have a reformation, a change inside the Catholic structures that said, here's the 73 books. And in the reformation, there were seven books that were removed from the authoritative scriptures where they were like, mm, we're not sure, and we call them the Apocrypha now, or the secondary, uh, I can't even say that word, Deuteronomical text. I can't say that word. I read it all the time. I can't say it. So the 66 books stand as these authoritative books, just like I guess you've got in the Jewish time, you've got Torah, then the prophets being more valuable, and then the, the writings, and then the teaching of the rabbi, there was a hierarchy to the understanding of scripture. Here, we have the Bible, the 66 books, and then you've got these other books. And then we've got the teaching of pastors all over the place. And the authority comes down from there. So this is, this is where, where we have this, this progress. But I'm, I'm interested in how people have looked at uh, the, the formation of the Bible. One person wrote Revelation 22, 19 to 8, 
or 18 to 19, says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anybody takes away from these words, the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in the book. This book, the letter itself, or the Bible, is at the canon. So most accepted as the entire canon, but some people would argue it's the book of Revelation. Either way, the warning is huge. We probably shouldn't be adding to the scripture. Not because God isn't interested in talking today, but because God is talking in so many different places. We have it in our Christian literature. We see that God's doing these awesome things all over the world. But when we want to get down to the authority of it, we're like, "Mm, let's bring that back to these 66 books. So reading our Bible needs us to understand how it was created, kind of what I just went over there. There's so much more. But it also needs to understand that it's this piece that God was revealing himself, and it's not to be added to. You also need the basic overarching narrative that's happening. So the biggest question at the end of all this is, what should, the, what should we use the Bible for today? What should we use the Bible for today? Um, while, I, while I asked that question, somebody asked the Deuterocanonical... The Deuteroca- See, I still can't read it. It's right here. Um, the Deuterocanonical... Try saying that. Deuterocanonical. Um, so the Apocrypha were part of the established canon in the 300s. I thought they, they weren't there then. Um, my research tells me that they were there, um, that they were included in that 73 books, and those were the, those were the ones that Martin Luther and the other ones... Um, that they, that they rejected. So what should we read the Bible for today? See, there's two, there's two ways that we could look at reading the Bible that I want to address. The first is the Bible is a set of rules meant to show us how God wants you to live. Many people refer to the Bible as the handbook of life. The second reason to read the Bible is a collection, is, the Bible is a collection of stories about God by which he reveals himself and his plan for creation. And so what you believe about the Bible determines how you read it. If you think the Bible is a handbook for life, looking for the rules for your life, you're going to read it the way you read a handbook. And sometimes that's really dry, a manual. Like if you have to read a manual, they're useful, but they're really hard to read. But when we read it as a collection of stories about God, we're able to get caught up in the narrative. Um, So this this is where we need to be. So what you believe about the purpose of the Bible determines how you read it. So today's an introduction. We're going to go into, next week, we're going to go into what what the different genres of the Bible are and how we're going to understand it. Um, But I really wanted to start off with this. So the Bible is the living word of God, and reading it allows us to spend time with him. And that's where we started, with Dallas Willard saying that it's not superstitious to read the Bible. There's a natural connection between God and us and the Bible that shapes us as we read it into his image. So... We are being shaped into his image. So let me pray today. And uh, I know that that was like, wow, that was a lot of content dump. But 
that's the Bible, and we've got to get through it, and we need to read it. So I would encourage everybody, this is actually the point of action that I would like people to do. There is a channel on Slack. If you're not part of Slack, go to promisechurch.community, get part of Slack. But there is a channel on Slack that's about reading the Bible, and we're going through it, and lots of people are already reading the Bible together, and one of the things that we can do is we can share with each other what God's showing about himself when we join that channel. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's where we're going. And, and so read the Bible. You know, learn what is it about. The channel's called Bible in a Year. And, uh, and join that channel. We'll read it together. We can have conversations and grow in what God is doing. Because this is how we understand God. This is how God has done everything. So let me, uh, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you took years to show enough of your action that people were able to record it and understand your character. God, I thank you that you still take these years in our own life where we're able to now just grasp just superficially who you are. But it's right there in the scripture. God, take each one of us deeper. Allow our understanding of you, the inexhaustible God, to grow. God, allow us to love your word. Psalm 1 says that, that I love to meditate on your word day and night. Oh, if we had that type of love for your word. God, I pray that you would capture our hearts because we need it more than ever. Instill in us a will that doesn't come from our own motivation, but it comes from your Holy Spirit. Give us a thirst for your scripture. Help us grow. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being a part of this church. We look forward to seeing you in the future. We're going to continue with doors open so that you can come visit here and, uh, and, and be part of, the, part of the service, but we'll also stay online during this wave of Omicron um, as, as it's just been. So we thank you for your participation. God bless you, and we will talk to you soon.